You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience member and artist designed to demystify the classical music and opera experience. If you enjoy the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, and really, who wouldn't, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support. Here's something that might take you by surprise. Well, two things. Annunzio Paolo Mantovani, also known as Mantovani. This is one of his most famous tunes, Charmaine. Uh, He was born in 1905, came to England in 1912, studied at Trinity College in London, set up an orchestra in the 1930s in Birmingham, later became successful as a dance band arranger and conductor at the BBC famed for the Mantovani sound. High strings, luxury sound, a high fidelity sound. Here's the second thing that might surprise you. Welcome to BBC Proms Late Night with Radio 1 and me, Pete Tong. We are live on BBC Radio 1, BBC Radio 3, the Red Button and the Radio 1 website. Tonight, coming live from the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. We're going to celebrate Radio 1's 20-year association with Ibiza by performing unique versions of over 20 classic tracks indelibly linked with the White Island. To do that, we've we've assembled an incredible orchestra, an amazing conductor, So without further ado, please welcome, make some noise, Jules Buckley and the Heritage Orchestra performing the Radio 1 Ibiza Prom. I remember that prom concert. It was back in 2015. I didn't attend, but people 20 years younger than me, who I worked with, did attend, and they were the same people who were talking excitedly about that very same concert from the moment it was announced and advertised in April 2015. The 
Ibiza prom, so called because of the music that originated from the nightclubs and parties that littered the island of Ibiza in the 90s and the 2000s, was not something I especially wanted to go to. And if you're wondering, it was also the very concert that made me and probably many others like me roll my eyes with derision when I saw it listed in the proms brochure. This wasn't classical music, this wasn't art. This wasn't jaw-dropping performance, it was shameless cross-brand promotion, an attempt to drag a Radio 1 audience into a classical music environment and give them something that might possibly leave them thinking they'd had some kind of classical music experience. But I heard the music start up, music I'd hated when I first heard it in the late 90s, music that had alienated me, music that wasn't intended for me, music that made me feel like a wallflower. Then I heard it expanded into an orchestral setting. Then I heard the crowd roar. Then suddenly, inexplicably, club tracks that had previously made me uneasy now made me feel elated. Not for the first time was I late to the party. But at least I had got to the party before it had ended. The man behind that concert, or at least one of them, Jules Buckley, the conductor, he and I met up a few weeks ago, largely because he's the guest curator at the Cheltenham Music Festival this year. That festival runs from the 3rd to the 12th of July, and it's launched the same day as this particular podcast episode. We were meant to talk about what's in the festival. Concerts from the Aurora Orchestra, Tenebrae, Tenor Ian Bostridge, the Philharmonia, previous podcast Dean Milosh, clarinetist Julian Bliss, and also another previous podcast D, cellist... Matthew Barley. But what we ended up talking about was Buckley himself more than perhaps he wanted to. I came to the interview with assumptions about him because of the assumptions I recalled having when I saw the Ibiza Brom advertised five years ago. Buckley, bearded, self-effacing and effortlessly cool, appears in this year's festival as you would expect with his Heritage Orchestra, the same band that appeared in the Ibiza Prom in 2015. Only this time, it's not a rerun of that concert, it's an exploration of the music of Giorgio Moroder, the composer, songwriter and producer behind Donna Summer's Love to Love You, I Feel Love, and, this was a complete surprise to me until about half an hour ago, Phil Oakey's Together in Electric Dreams. Here's what I think now, assuming you don't want to listen on through the podcast interview. Buckley's work on the Ibiza Prom, as illustrated in the interview that follows is the work of a master arranger, someone who approaches something unfamiliar, to him at least, and looks at how he can utilise the forces at his disposal to enhance the familiar and the popular, and perhaps even bring the reticent or the cynical along with him too. That makes him a sort of present-day Mantovani. tribute to the memory of Humphrey Bogart, we welcome our special guest artist, Miss Petula Clark, who sings to Montevani's beautiful arrangement, the memorable As Time Goes By.
you must remember this a kiss is still a kiss a sigh is just a sigh the fundamental thing and now on to france where manavani and his orchestra bring us the song from the film moulin rouge where is your heart Someone once said, London is a man's town, there's power in the air. But Paris is a woman's town with flowers in her hair. That is very good. Well, John, I have noticed that when one has a beautiful melody, it lends itself particularly to string orchestration. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you'll agree with me when you hear this next arrangement. Sometimes just when you, when everyone gets into the zone, it, that 
to me feels like yeah you're there's healing elements there's you know there's basically there's massive positive vibes right in the room and that yeah that's something that you don't always necessarily intend from the message of the music but it just sometimes happens and yeah it's funny I also have kind of like last night we had a concert mm. and definitely today at some point I'll have a bit of a low but that's because when you spend two to three months preparing writing and collaborating and then you within 90 minutes it's all finished you I think any, <laughs> anyone it, it, I guess it's you know what I think it's a little bit like um, you know like sprinters yeah, and they sort of you know <laughs> date myself now, but okay, okay. But let's say say you're like a sprinter and you're working towards like you know a, a big championship or a world championship or an Olympic games, and suddenly it's over in nine point nine five seconds. Yeah, that is going to be a bit weird, isn't it? And you've trained the whole for four years towards that. I mean, I only trained for three months towards this concert, but but you know what I mean. It's like you're essentially. Every at, at a certain point, every part of your brain is focusing in on this project and, and trying to take it really to the to the absolute artistic peak, if, if you can. Does that mean that the concert is still going on for you now? I mean, I realise that the concert is over, but but is that you know has the in the life cycle of this particular project is the project now over, or is there some emotional sort of mopping up to be? I think there's a bit of emotional mopping up, yeah. Right. I mean, I normally kind of, my process is normally like, finish gig. Um, tweet. Because <laughs> I did notice that. Tweet, tweet to say that you're emotional. Yeah, tweet yes. like, oh shit. Yeah, okay. Right. Then fall asleep, wake up at about five, run through the whole gig in my mind, the performance of it. Like, oh, really? this bit was great. Oh, that bit could have been better. Oh. Yeah, that, I feel for me that, that often is like a kind of a, um, an emptying of the... Of the memory or whatever you know, like just to to, ha- to to pick over something that actually you can't revisit. Yeah, it's torturous. All oh, that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd be a conductor? Who'd be a conductor? Yeah, uh, is that something that surprised you when you went into this? Uh, I think it's just a part of my personality. It's like the same if I I like to, sometimes to play football with friends and stuff and if we have a match probably after that match I'll, it's just a habit I sort of work back through events and look at them and then, and that's a way of just then compartmentalising it and shutting the door and moving on to the next one uh, you mentioned football which means that, that that triggers a series of questions which I need to ask which okay. is um, were you were you good at maths no were you good at studies when you say studies... Well, you know, obviously you were good at music. I, I was lazy. I think uh, I think I had to... I, I really had to push myself at, at the kind of the exam periods of time right. to get through it, yeah. And did you? I got through, yeah. Right, you got through. But I remember my maths teacher, her words were, we have to get you through this. Oh, OK. So, <laughs> we were at that level. So okay. I think, <laughs> so just in case we wanted to make a correlation between musicians and maths, unfortunately I'd fall into the... Uh, were you good at any other subjects? Um, I don't think what well, art, right? But I sort of consider art and it's all the same thing, I suppose. Um, but in terms of other subjects, not particularly. I think I was just nah. Okay. I, I think I was absolutely average across all the board. <laughs> uh, and what about? So you're obviously good at sport. Um, I was all right at sport. 
my brothers were better at sport, but there were three of us, so naturally you kind of you developed a sort of a competitive element through growing up. So I, just, I love sport for the team. I love the team feeling, and in a way, in some ways, with an orchestra, there's something similar to that as well. You know, were you a pre-faint? No, they no, they never gave me that. Good. What about Blue Peter badge? Did you get one of them? Uh, I was on it more than three times, but I never got the gold badge. So you did get a blue. I mean, I mean, I realised I've got a white one. You've got a white one, right? Okay, that's fine. I feel, yeah, <laughs> I feel like you're, you're yeah. lining up the ducks here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, at least you weren't a prefect. That's good. Um, uh, the the thing I want to ask you, which you can decide to either answer now or later, is uh, if people were meeting you for the first time, um, what three words would you want them to describe you with? after they've met you and you can either answer that now or you can answer it at the end but you are going to answer it <laughs> uh, chilled okay um, integrity See, this is why game shows put a music bed underneath these kind of questions <laughs> yeah. in order or, to or deal a, with the silence. Or a clock so, that's yeah, going down yes, and you've got indeed. one minute. That's countdown. That right, yes. Just trying to find a word that might surmise more than one thing and might be, you know. Do you want to come back? So we've, we had chilled integrity. Team player. Okay, well that is hyphenated, so okay, you can have that. Can I have it? Yeah, yes. awesome. Um, tell me about the Cheltenham Festival. How are you involved in it? Why are you doing it? Uh, I'm involved in Cheltenham Festival because it is a brilliant flagship festival of contemporary music and classical music and more. Um, and my world is sort of swimming or at least working within lots of different worlds that overlap. Um, so, you know, part of my current kind of orchestral work is collaborations, you know, with artists often non-classical artists, but also, um, you know, contemporary artists, I guess, is maybe a better word. And I feel that 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 blurring of, you know, the blurring, especially in the last couple of decades, of all of this music has has sort of opened up many doors for artists like myself and, you know, especially, yeah, composers and writers to, to explore, you know, in the orchestral context in a way that maybe wasn't necessarily, sorry, I'm just sort of blabbing away now, wasn't necessarily, well, that was really compartmentalised before as like Pops, Pops gig or, mm. you know, uh, it's like light music or something. So I suppose... Um, Did you revel in that though? I'm, so my assumption about you is that, that you probably didn't want to fit into a particular box and so actually you sort of rubbed your hands together and, and thought, no, I want to do all of this. I, I mean, I had no evidence for any of that other than the, the concerts that, you've, that I've yeah. seen you in. But I wonder whether actually you're rather, you're motivated by, by the blurring of boundaries. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I think I'll answer one part and then I'll drop back to a more historical element. But the first part is I think I was often, I think I often felt riled a bit by the conservative kind of, or at least the dismissive, element from some of the conservative kind of classical stance upon other musics and so in my early days I wasn't really into classical music um, I was into jazz music 
when I was kind of a early, you know, nine years old and, and up. You were into jazz at nine years old? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my, my trumpet teacher literally introduced me to Miles Davis at nine, which oh, it does, it sounds wow. like sounds really, great. but it's the truth, yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. Uh, was he a bit mad? Did he have a beard? She, she... Oh, no, she didn't. She wasn't, <laughs> she's not mad, but, but um, she was one half of a couple who they ran a brass band and they ran a big band, and they were actually both classically trained. But they were really into jazz music as well, and the big band was an incredibly high standard for for a youth band. But also geographically, you know, Aylesbury is a is a mid-sized town, forty miles out of London. It not necessarily kind of on the musical map, so to speak. But but the the after school kind of council teaching service was in those days really amazing. Yes. It had like four brass bands, you know three big bands two orchestras etc mm. so you kind of you you could you could see a step up for yourself and you, there was a lot of in, inspiration along the way um so they no nobody instilled in me a kind of a, a sense of like oh i want to kind of like kick these doors in or kind of be slightly um disruptive um it was more that if if i trace my own musical um education it kind of happened in sort of phases. So the first phase was learning the trumpet um, and finding more joy in jazz music and the freedom of that than practicing my scales. I wonder whether it's a brass thing. Because I have, in preparing for this interview, you wouldn't think I'd prepared. <laughs> um, but I was, I thought of my friend Patrick and my other friend Peter. I obviously have other friends. But... Patrick is a trumpeter and now works for an orchestra, and Peter is a teacher in a music college. And it was, it was them who introduced me to at university to something beyond classical music, mm. and and they, Patrick particularly loved classical music, but I saw them come alive when they introduced soul and funk yeah, and jazz. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder whether, I wonder whether it's just a brass player thing. I I don't know. Because, I mean, because there's a greater range of musical genres for... I mean, it's still the same can, range of musical genres, mean, I know. Yeah, but, but if, if you're an oboe player, you yeah, might not, not really end up in a soul band no, indeed. and play Haydn Cause, and... Because yeah. the demand for an oboist in a, in a soul, soul band. Or, a, or a funk band <laughs> is quite low. Um, so is it, is it a brass thing, do you think? Because there's... Is brass essentially more inclusive and, and offers more opportunities musically? Oh, that's a broad, oh, that's it's a like broad an question, question, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> but shouldn't I finish the first question? Oh, okay, right, yes, fine. Uh, wow, you're really on it. Well, um, the thing is, so I, I kind of got into jazz in the early, you know, from nine into the early teens, and around my 12th, 13th year, I bought, my parents got me a drum kit, and then I started to learn the drums. But then I got really into grunge music, right? like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and right. then I got really into heavy metal. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, you're doing your Royal Associated Board yes. exams. <laughs> so on the one hand, you're walking into school with a trumpet case and a, a you know, snare drum bag. And at the same time, you're having to kind of prepare, you know, these, you know, well, actually, no, the excerpts was what you did at music college. So I guess the Royal, Co the Royal Board stuff was more like etudes and, you know, yes. 
short pieces that you would perform of a certain standard depending on the grade of course so those all those things were going together um but i I think in, in those days i was quite dismissive and very arrogant about classical music simply because it kind of wasn't cool you know i didn't it wasn't you know and also more importantly which i didn't realize then but i didn't have in front of me necessarily a an orchestra that was killing that music you know so ah uh, okay i yeah, didn't necessarily yeah. have an example that was and and you know had the lso been playing at your school then <laughs> maybe you exactly. would have been you would have been more pro classical <laughs> town hall <laughs> I know, um, another failure yeah so then kind of what but what happened was around 15 or 16 or something was i i began to get really into co- composing and the brass band was my f- they offered Nick and Kathy, my teachers, they offered, hey, do you want to write a piece for the brass band? Let's try it, you know. And obviously a brass band has, you know, you know, quite an array of different instruments and different roles of these instruments. Um, and so it was quite a challenge to, to do that. And that kind of opened up to me uh, a whole other world. And that was kind of the spark to begin exploring classical music very, very gently and then what happened was when I went to music college initially to study jazz trumpet, although I did audition as a composer and I think I got quietly shut down, which was rightly so because I didn't know what the hell I was doing at that point. It was probably pretty naive. When you say that you were shut down, it makes it sound like an organisation <laughs> or, or an office. What do you mean that you were shut down? Were, you, were well, you told this is really not a good idea? What they said was, I think... I think a, a fantastic teacher, Simon Purcell, who was on the faculty at, at Guildhall, I think he took me aside and he said, Jules, look, you, should, you know, are you sure you want to go for this? Why don't you join us on the jazz course, you know, as a, as a trumpet player? So I, They were flirting with you. So I was like, all right, <laughs> let's do that. I mean, I, I, I knew I just wanted to be in, a, in an environment surrounded by incredible musicians to learn music. At that point... It, kind of there were lots of questions I wasn't really sure anymore and then I think I just spent five years six years even just intensely learning about the music that I'd kind of been a bit arrogant about in in my teenage years you know um and especially because in this conservatory one it was next to the Barbican so you had all these killer orchestras coming in week in week out and you had the student orchestras full of players that had been killing that music since they were four, you know, and they went to Cheatham's or uh, uh, Purcell School or wherever. So suddenly I was kind of absolutely inspired and and wanted to to find out more. So I quit the jazz course and then I went back as a, compo- a classical composer. So I re-auditioned again, I think, wow. three years later. And then I took a year out, went back and, and started a new degree and then got my degree in classical composition yeah which i don't think a lot of people know no a lot of people think it's like this jazz guy that kind yes of well that's wags right. his arms that, yeah, around yeah. The orchestra, you know <laughs> yeah. so so i had julian phillips as a teacher who's a fantastic um composer and i can honestly say yeah the lessons with him were the best lessons Aside from the very early lessons I had with Nick and Kathy on the trumpet, in, I like I th- the sign that you're doing for trumpet. Yeah, yeah in, case, <laughs> in case I wasn't aware. Yeah, what, yeah thank if, you. If I look at <laughs> if I look at two points of um, distinct kind of epiphany slash, oh my god, it was yeah, age nine. You can play whatever you want now. Let's try this. You know, 
okay, take four notes, let's jam on that, to going into a, to a lesson with Julian and, and the discussion was, what's the concept of your composition first? And I was like, what? But what about the harmony rules? And, and he was like, there are no rules. So mm. when this was proposed to me, I was like, oh my God. And I felt like, in a way, they were then directly connected. It was the same, you know. Well, they were the same kind of people, you mean, or they had the same sort of perspective. Because, I mean, it's quite a bold thing to say to a nine-year-old, go on, we're going to do this now. That says something about them. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, I guess what I mean is there was a connection of that there would be freedom to express oh, okay. first, and we'll look at how that works within the construct second. Um, Don't worry about the mechanics, think about the message. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Sorry, I'm all about I think you're, you're way better than me at this stuff, I'll just blab away. Yeah, well, no, but you will stand in front of a, an orchestra and conduct, and I won't, not anymore. Because um, <laughs> uh, that would be a terrifying prospect. Uh, but you did ask me a second question, I'm sorry, I forgot it, because I wanted to just finish the first one. Yes, I said, uh, was it, is it a brass player thing? Oh, yeah. So I just, my, my assumption is, is that brass players have that greater range of repertoire, have greater range of genres. And so that sort of, and because of the whole improvisation thing, that sort of opens up the mind. And it sounds as though actually the route that you took in was improvisation or, or jazz and improvisation, yeah, and, which was actually quite liberating, yeah. such that when you'd done that, then you returned to classical music and it sort of made... Yeah, and I, and I think if you look at composing, especially, um, uh, you know... Everyone has a different process, of course, to to get from the beginning to the end of any piece or any project. But um, for me, yeah, large parts of of that of my work in that field have been beginning with improvisation. You know, m- you know, messing about with an idea, chucking mud at a wall, and trying to find out what what are oh, that could be cool. I'm gonna, now I'm going to actually then I'm going to take this element and look at that, and that's going to be the kind of the starting seed of the composition so in a way that the starting point is the same you know um yeah and everyone has a different process and that that's just my own process basically the heritage orchestra is in Cheltenham festival isn't it yeah uh i want i have to ask you about the ibiza prom i assume that everybody asks you about this yeah do they oh no your your face has fallen no it's all good (laughs) uh I only chuckle because I remember that last summer I was asked to do something sort of to, you know, um, to, promote, to, to promote, promote another concert. And I said before, and I said, okay, cool, but can we just have a couple of things? Can we not show footage of the Ibiza prom? Right. And, you know, can, if we're going to go in on this concert, let's talk about the concert, you know, because yes. it's a whole different thing. Yes. So I get there. And they're like, yeah, we've like got some footage of you here. Oh, and no. the first thing is, boom, the Ibiza prom. Well, you'll be relieved to hear, just to, just to reassure you, this is audio, so there's no footage. Yeah, no, it's cool. Uh, no, the reason I want to ask you is because, um, not really about the content of the I'm, concert. I'm totally happy to No, no, I know, I know. Yeah, and, cool. you know, you are in a room with microphones in front of you. It would be really churlish to go, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what I was really surprised about, about that event, was... A, that by just adding some, I'm, and I'm, I'm being so dismissive and I don't mean to be, but, but by adding um, orchestral textures to familiar tracks, which I personally had always felt quite alienated by, mm. uh, by having that additional level, 
or that layer, uh, it expanded the sound. It almost legitimised that music for me. Um, I'm not saying that it needed legitimising, but it legitimised it for me. It tapped into a sense of nostalgia. And all around me, I saw people who were 10, 15 years younger than me uh, completely made up by the presence of, of the orchestra in the Albert Hall. I mean, as an experience, it was yeah. quite a remarkable thing. Do you think a lot of those people hadn't yes, seen an yeah. ensemble before? Yeah. yeah. And um, I now work in a, in a radio station um, for, about classical, for classical music, and uh, one of the people who works on the team uh, talks with great fondness about going to the Ibiza prom. Okay. And he hasn't got any classical music experience. And he's probably twenty three or twenty four. Okay, and and I think that's great. Yeah, that is cool. Because um, I, I often from that night, I think my memory was of of just the audience demographic, or sorry, the age range. I thought I just presumed it was kind of fifty to like you know <laughs> yes. the mums and dads that <laughs> were in Ibiza saying <laughs> yeah. ninety five yeah. and. They left the kids at home and they came yeah, out. This is our night out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it wasn't like that. No. Yeah, it was every, in a way everything about that project was in the end was a complete surprise. Yeah. What was the experience like being there? I mean, you know, I know of other people who talk about how they experienced being there, but what was it like for you? Yeah, that. I mean, because <clears throat> that project was because I'm the, the same as you. I, I wasn't into that music. Oh, you weren't? At all, when, when I was a teenager. <laughs> wow, that's, there's a follow-up question that needs to be and, asked. And, yeah, well, <laughs> one of my discussions with Pete was, Pete, I really don't like children. Right. When I was a teenager, that was the worst track on the radio. Can we not do it, please? And Pete said, oh, that's the biggest, one of the biggest dance, dance anthems of all time, so we have to play it. And I, I remember I was like, oh, God, you know... And then this crazy thing happened, even for me, which was when I sat down and started arranging it, I started to like this tune. Yes, it was that's really exactly weird what I mean. Because yeah. Chris Wheeler and myself, Chris is my closest you know, collaborative partner, and we, we set up Heritage together. We sat down and we were like... Because at this point, there'd been lots of other orchestral projects like that didn't quite work, you know, because... Where and the mistake often was that the orchestra would take an artist, let's say from the dance world, but they would take all the beats out mm-hmm. and they would take the vocalist out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hate to say it, but then you're not left with very much, <laughs> no, indeed. you know, or let's say it's certainly like, not dance music, is yeah, it really? If there's no beats, <laughs> <laughs> like harmonic material is relatively pretty minimal, uh, rhythmically, it's, it stays often. There's a reason why it stays uh-huh. on the point because it needs to stay yes. you know, on it. And um, so we sat down and discussed it, and we came to the conclusion that the only way to make this work was to kick the door in, you know, metaphorically. metaphorically yes, because <laughs> the Albert Hall, you know. So, yes. Um, we realised that we should just well in film music that if you Z clef something, it's basically where you're putting the instruments. It's just kind of Zed a turn of phrase Z-clef is kind of suggestive that you put the instruments at their highest loudest ranges yes to get the most impact so if you go and listen to something like um, the original Batman score Tim Burton that mm-hmm. is pretty Z-clef you've got flutes right up high you know everybody's kind of in their maximum where the instrument just resonates and um, 
because of the power and and the natural need for dance music to really hit anyway you have to be quite clever with the orchestration in order to make it work live with with those beats and bass lines getting performed so that was our starting point but even then to be honest I thought man this is going to bomb and actually this might be the end <laughs> quite fatalistic um, you uh, thought it were, did you really or is this just like a no no I, is this like I, I was you sat, setting up something for no a, I promise I'm not I, more. I was sat backstage uh, thinking well we're, we're on stage at like the biggest classical music festival in the world and we're about to drop kick a fat boy slim tune <laughs> And there'd been a lot of media. Do you, I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot. Yeah, of, there was. In, there was yeah. a lot of cynicism. There were, you know, people kind of writing in, like, you know, angry at why this. People did, were shouting at Roger Wright across the road. Yeah, yes. why, why this was even. <laughs> that <laughs> even and the happened. Doctor Who prom. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but actually, I don't. Roger had actually left. Had he? Had yeah, he really? so Edward oh, okay. Blakeman was. was but if Roger had set it up, though. I think Roger had set it up, hadn't he? Anyway, it, that that's it. Yeah, but no, I honestly was. We was pretty skeptical about it because we well we'd never done it, and and I'd seen these other projects, and I thought they were really terrible. You know, these other versions where they. But surely, at, at, at some point, when you'd heard them, heard those arrangements in rehearsal, you must have thought, no, it's going to be all right. Because if you know that the, if you that, know that the house is full, yeah, that, and you've listened to the you've you've been in the rehearsal, I'm not trying to doubt you. I'm not saying that you're lying. Uh, I'm I, just, I th- yeah, I, th- I don't, I don't, I I trust my own, um, like I I trust my own craft, you know. So I, I know that what I put on paper is going to work from a kind of it's going to sound exactly like I want it to sound. But for me, it was more like. It was this fear, this just this natural fear, because of it getting trashed, and and you're the the, the orchestra and the guy in front of that, and and you know to be seen to be maybe bring, bringing down a, or or putting a bit of a slur on a on a serious musical festival in a way, you know. So that is was, that how is that that what was you the were, fear at the time? Is that what you thought when you walked off the stage? No, right. Yeah, when I walked off the stage, I was like, fuck. No, it's worked. It what really happened? Worked. <laughs> but actually, to be honest, when I walked on the stage, oh no, I, yeah, then you could feel it in the ring. You could feel that kind of like, what? Oh, okay, this is going to be all right, you know? But it, yeah, it's, it's no lie. It was a fear. <laughs> I asked you. But that's you... just because I respect and love, you know, so much music and all my friends that are, you know, dedicate themselves to the highest craft that I didn't want to be seen. To be some guy that's cheapening no indeed anything. either either musical genre yeah, and exactly, I yeah. I drew parallels with the work that John Wilson had been doing um, with film music you know the first John Wilson prom with the BBC Concert Orchestra where he brought carry on music he brought a carry on medley mm. of all of the carry on films mm. and that was the first time that I'd heard all of that music yeah which was and it was really great and because it was on stage and because it was just them you heard how utterly crazy mm. all of the orchestrations were mm. and how invigorating yeah. um, the score was yeah. so I drew parallels and there, there is a reason for asking about it in relation to Cheltenham I just wonder whether whether that sense of bringing two genres together and 
and blurring boundaries is something which is important to you in in your work at Cheltenham. That's that's really why I wanted to. Well, I, th- I think. Am I making a connection there that where there isn't a connection? Um, I I know for myself that I'm not um, joining forces with Cheltenham to kind of to sort of um, bring sort of two different worlds and smash them together I I have more of a stance of like essentially it's either good or bad yes. music you know so it's either a good or a bad performance um, and I'm always I guess I'm always trying to put together the, the best projects I think like the best projects I can but I don't not necessarily on a crusade that people might think I'm on you know it's more like I guess I'm just putting together projects which a lot of people feel a resonance with and they and it's op- probably opening some minds along the way. Yeah. Do you do you ever experience moments where you feel as though you're you're being misrepresented by people who write about what you do? Sure. Yeah. How do they misrepresent you? Um well sometimes it's just quite hyperbolic, you know. Meaning well, well like kind of it would be sort of like you know, I mean, the word pioneer or kind of anything, I, I like to just do my thing, you know, I like to get on with it and, and really and work for the orchestra or for the music, for the composer. And so maybe sometimes, I, I understand why, I think in the build-up sometimes to gigs and stuff, the kind of the language ramps to create the, the spin needed. Marketing people get involved, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I do get that, I totally get it. <laughs> But, um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I suppose I'm, sen- I'm sensitive to sometimes that that's kind of riling or, or maybe creating slightly a false representation of the fact that, so I'm, try- I'm sort of thinking in my <laughs> that's thoughts. That's fine, and, that's great. <laughs> well, let, let, let me think, of, let me rephrase it. I suppose like all the while that people say there's this music here and there's that, and there's that, and there's this box here, and there are these lines. That, that to me, should just be all removed, hmm. right? Because in the modern day, you have, um, you know, we can look at some pretty obvious examples. You know, you can look at somebody like Johnny Greenwood or something, and he's just doing what he wants to do, you know, and he's really good at it. Um, it's just that people love to say, oh, he's, he's from Blur. <laughs> Yes. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's really. It's, really and it's kind of. Yes. I imagine it must be really annoying. You know, for or him. like Bryce Desner from the National. These kind of guys that are, are really open guys. Um, I think. I, I suppose that yeah. In the build-up to some of these events, sometimes people like to keep the conservative kind of framework and then say, "Oh, but this is a little bit different." But I just think in the modern day all orchestras and all ensembles and all musicians that have come, especially in the last 20 years, have just digested and learnt so much different music, not just like me, you know. They're, they're friends of ours, brass players or string players, will have played everything. But they also play in that orchestra. But it doesn't mean they just no. do that one music, you know. So, um, sorry, that's a bit... No, no, not at all. That's, that's covered uh, nearly everything. Uh, <laughs> I have just two more questions. I want to reassure the other people in the room that Cheltenham will be mentioned in the introduction. Don't worry. Um, uh, where are the edges of your comfort zone? What is at the edge of your comfort zone, musically? 
while I guess sort of an obvious answer would be at the edge of my comfort zone would be taking on a music that I'm not qualified to take on. Mm, what music is that? That's what I'm asking. That would be romantic classical music or, you know, kind of core classical music as a, as a conductor. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I suppose secretly everybody would love to do, but I know I have a skill set and a niche or that's really of a certain type of music or a certain type of playing so I realised long ago to really work on that and Do you think that might change? Or is well, it I, are, I, we, are you bedded in now? This is, this no, is a skill I, set I, I definitely want to push myself absolutely and I think you know I've started a relationship with the BBC Symphony we, we had this gig last night and part of the reason for that also was just I really want to I want to actually put myself more in those those slightly uncomfortable positions just to really challenge myself because um, in a way a, a lot of the projects that I've done over the years have been yeah, rhythm section plus orchestra right mm -hmm. or, you know and there's naturally you, you start to use certain parts of your armoury more than others um, so maybe somewhere down the line but I don't know because I have so many friends and colleagues who they just kill you know the the classical rep for example so I think for me I'm, I'm happy doing what I do you know it, maybe one day quietly in a town hall somewhere in, in Aylesbury <laughs> on a Sunday night you know <laughs> with three or four people in the audience exactly yeah sort of like okay. slow clapping uh, so the, the final question really is about the beard how long did the beard I'm at the beginning <laughs> of my beard growing journey uh, I've read a number of websites where they talk about journeys uh, how long did your beard take to grow please how long am I going to wait? It grows pretty quick, actually. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe I'm at the extent. But the problem is I've had the sort of the same beardage for quite a while, so I kind of can't remember. Right. How did it start? It's, did it start by accident? It, it started... Well, I think in my old previous relationship my girlfriend she hated beards so I never <laughs> yeah she, did she not see it <laughs> so I never had one and then I thought, oh I see right okay but I always you know I'd always been happy having a beard so I think when we split up I just it was a reaction it was it it was you know kind of thing so okay, I grew right. it uh, okay fine and then it just sort of stayed yeah. um but, uh, fine. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? Um, I think I'm all good. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. If you enjoy it, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support.